It's another edition of Making Money. The financial coach, Ron Hebert, is with us. Retired portfolio manager means he looked after people's financial affairs. I'm a retired broadcaster. My name's Gord Whitehead. This one I'm looking forward to, Ron. We're going to talk about the history of the Ponzi scheme. And right out of the chute, I was watching Bill Maher a couple of weeks ago. And he had Ben McKenzie, who's I know mostly as an actor, but he's written a book along with a partner. He is a foaming at the mouth, anti-cryptocurrency guy. He came right out and called it a Ponzi scheme. And I've never heard it really stated that way. Your thoughts on that? Well, uh, if you look at the two of the biggest players in the world, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, who run uh, Berkshire Hathaway, uh, they use words that are typically that unkind to describe it. And so, you know, obviously we're going to have to, to see where this, where this thing goes because, you know, it, it's more than just a currency. It's just the whole way of, of verifying transactions behind it. And I think that that ledger system behind it, that people can do transactions without a middleman, I think that has some merit. But as far as crypto itself, um, you know, we did a show a while back on crypto. And one of the things that that I always uh, look at is the fact that it's very difficult to use crypto. I mean, in the last year, it's been as low as $16,000 per coin and as high as 68. Well, let's say you're making a purchase three months from now. How do you how do you pay for something that can move a 10 percent in a day? You know, it doesn't have the stability. And maybe eventually it will, but... Um, that was the point you know, that, that Ben McKenzie made. He said, it's easy to put your money in. He said, it's a challenge sometimes to get it out. Oh, that, totally. It's, yeah. it's a challenge to get out. We're going to be talking about uh, cryptocurrency Ponzi schemes a little later in our show. But, uh, For, you know, if you take a look at all the Ponzi schemes, um, cryptocurrency represents a pretty large percentage of that total. Okay, so let's let's get down to the the origin of the term. It was dreamed up by a guy named Charles Ponzi, and he lured investors in the 1920s with the promise of doubling their money within 90 days by trading international reply coupons. And of course, you're wondering what are those things? Well, these were vouchers accepted by multiple countries that could be converted into local postage stamps. And of course. Uh, you know, we've got FaceTime now and Zoom and all these other things. You don't often think of sending something by snail mail. But typically back then, it was very difficult to place an overseas call. And local postage stamps, if you wanted to send something, generally it was by written letter. And, and it was very difficult uh, for anyone wanting to send something to a different country uh, to be able to have something that was recognized in other places. So these international reply coupons, you supposedly could buy them really, really cheaply and end up trading them. But instead of trading uh, these coupons, uh, Ponzi used new investors' cash to fund payouts disguised as profits to old ones. And, of course, uh, he skimmed about $20 million off of unsuspecting investors. That's and of a course, lot of money back then. Holy mackerel. It's a lot of money today. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, you look at it. It was a quarter billion dollars scored in yeah. today's dollars. I mean, we're not talking chump change here. And, you know, I, I, and you know the result of, of what happened to Charles Ponzi. He did 42 months in prison. He got out. He was sentenced again. They finally deported him, and he died in poverty. And most of the Ponzi guys, they either die or end up end up 
rotting in jail. So, uh, you know, uh, the outcome of these guys, they live large while they're doing it, but eventually they get caught and the outcome is never great. So now I think one that's fresh in a lot of people's minds, and, and I anecdotally, I, I know of a couple of people who invested with Bernie Madoff, right? He's the he's kind of the king of the hill, king of the hill here, isn't he? Yeah, he has he held seventeen billion of client assets, then told him it was worth or had grown to sixty billion. And the amazing thing, he pretended to have an investment strategy that he said could generate double digit returns virtually no risk month after month after month after month and all the trading was fake literally if you go back and and uh, and go to netflix and look at the show madoff or read the book he never did any transactions there was no trades taking place the con finally unraveled in 2008 madoff went to jail where he died in 2021 at the age of 82 uh one of his sons died the other one took his own life and they were both with the company and uh this one has had a little happier outcome so because so far regulators have managed to recover about 70% of the money. And uh, surprisingly enough, Madoff wasn't just a con. He had a legitimate uh, business as a market maker on the NASDAQ. You used to actually, see him on the financial shows all the time, right? Yeah. In fact, he was the head of the NASDAQ stock exchange for a number of years. So... Uh, he started out as a pretty legitimate guy, but uh, then he started going down the wrong road, and look at where he ended up. Okay, MMM. I don't know of this one. This is the second biggest Ponzi scheme of all time. It started in the 1990s. It was Russian. Uh, so it wasn't was Minnesota a, Mining and Manufacturing. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't, uh, wasn't 3M. Uh, okay. It wasn't 3M. Yeah. It was founded by a Russian mathematician by the name of uh, Mavrodi, and he promised returns of 3,000%. And essentially what he did was he imported business machines and technology into Russia. And he built 15 million people in Russia out of an, an estimated $10 billion. And just to show you what a carnival the lost legal system is in Russia, Mavrodi was able to avoid prosecution for a while by getting himself elected to the Russian parliament. I wonder if this is a strategy that Trump's doing. <laughs> Anyways, he later did four and a half years for his crimes, and he died in 2018. So that's number two, and it's huge. Now, this name, uh, this one really surprised me. You sent me some show notes, and I went, really? Alan Stanford. Yeah, he claimed to be uh, heir to the founder of, of uh, uh, Stanford University. Big educational institution down in California. Like one yeah. of those real top drawer colleges, right? Exactly, and a lot of debate. And I think the last I read, they say that, that he had no clear connection. Uh, but this opened a lot of large wallets to him, and this was an $8 billion Ponzi scheme. And what he did is he claimed to invest in offshore bank deposits that earned way higher returns than you could get at domestic banks. And he was arrested in 2009, and uh, he's still serving a life sentence. And, of course, Anytime he comes up for parole, he claims that he's not guilty of anything. I mean, talk about self-delusional. But this was huge. It was $8 billion he built from investors. Tom Peters, uh, I, another name I was not that familiar with. You've really drilled down on this one, Ron. <laughs> oh, I, I searched for hours, and I made a list. So uh, I think I've got the top five. But if you find someone that's had a bigger Ponzi scheme than any of these guys, 
uh, let me know. I'd be happy to add it to the list. But Tom Peters ran a $3.6 billion Ponzi scheme selling non-existent electronic equipment to big box retailers. He was arrested in 2009 and serving time behind bars. And interestingly enough, he actually had some uh, legitimate businesses. He owned a company called Fingerhut, and uh, he owned a company that's a household name, Polaroid. He he owned Polaroid, and he still ran a Ponzi scheme. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's just amazing. Uh, enough is never enough, because most of these guys, frankly, weren't all that poor to begin with. They actually had done quite well for themselves. So, yeah, you wonder why millions aren't enough. I guess I maybe guess when aren't. digital photography came along, he saw the handwriting on the wall for the Polaroid camera. And, yeah. Oh, I better try something else. Okay, Robert Rothstein. Robert Rothstein, his Ponzi scheme was $1.4 billion, and it was the biggest Ponzi scheme in history ever having a lawyer behind it. He promised 20% returns in three months, and he, what he did was really unique, is that typically if you sue me and you win... Uh, sometimes I can give you a payout right away, but often the payouts are structured. So if I'm going to give you a million dollars, I've got to pay you a million dollars, maybe I'll structure it so uh, and we'll agree to me paying you $100,000 over 10 years. But let's say you want your money right now. Well, you can go to a third party, at least that's what Rothstein claimed, and uh, you know, if it was a million-dollar settlement, they might buy it up front for half a million bucks. So uh, these are called uh, structured settlements, but all the ones he did were fabricated. And Rothstein was known for his very flashy lifestyle. He owned over 200 luxury watches. He had Bugattis, and uh, he had he had a, a, uh, I watched him on American Greed one night, and you looked at his garage, and it went for about as far as the eye could see. And uh, you know, uh, he was wildly eccentric. He owned a, a toilet made out of gold. <laughs> if, you can, if you can believe it, you know. He was finally arrested in 2010, and he went to jail for 50 years. And I'm not sure if this, this guy uh, means that he's, uh, uh, he'll have done his time in, two, in 2060. And I think he was in his 50s. So, you know, if, if he survives, he's probably going to be 100 years old by the time he gets out. Sort Amazing. of a modern-day Ernst Blofeld, you know, Goldfinger. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah, okay. So now, and then you, you did some more research about weird Ponzi schemes. And these ones, I laughed out loud when I read a couple of these. I thought, somebody actually invested in this? <laughs> well, I'm going to talk about six uh, weird Ponzi's. And I know in people that have invested in four of them. The first one is growing cultured milk for use in beauty creams. So they send you a culture, and uh, you'd, you'd grow it, and supposedly be able to sell it back to them for many multiple times of, of what you cultured it for. And, of course, that was really big in the uh, early 80s and early 90s. And uh, I had people calling me all the time trying to get me into this thing and i told them they were absolutely crazy anyways this cultured milk thing started in south africa and of course the guy who did it he's gone to jail many times for this uh one i don't know anybody who got involved with is selling broadway theater tickets so they they'd buy them and then scalp them at the front door and of course they 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 said they had a source where they could get them really cheap and then they sold them for uh basically inflated prices. The third one on my list, Gord, is 
uh, I know a whole bunch of people in Alberta who got involved with this. And they were uh, essentially sold emus and pigeons. And they were told that if they raised them, they would take their uh, and use their breeding stock that they would buy all their offspring. You know, I've forgotten about this, Ron. I'm I'm flashing back about 35 years ago to somebody I knew who was raising emus now that I think of it, right? Yeah, and of course, this was was pretty big in Alberta at the time. And it's amazing how many people got taken by this in a big way. And of course, number four on my list is buying life insurance contracts. Let's say you've got life insurance, but you want the money now. Well, you could... You know, the, the concept was to sell it to somebody at, at, at a discounted price. And, of course, by doing that, you could, uh, if, when the person died, you, you'd buy it cheap enough so you'd make a fortune. Number five was ant farming. I know three people that got involved in ant farming. There was uh, some kind of antibiotic they said that these ants were able to produce. So they send you a kit with ants, and they'd send you what was basically a, a glorified fish tank, and you put dirt in it, and you put a little bit of honey in there, and they'd buy this byproduct back from you at a higher price. Like I say, I know three or four people back in the 90s who did this one. I mean, this stuff just sounds absolutely crazy, but people Could have gone did out it. in your backyard to do that, couldn't you? <laughs> yeah, exactly, and saved yourself a lot of money. And, of course, the next one is crypto storage and trading. And like uh, some people uh, have been pointing out, you know, there's, there, there's well, the just FTX so many. Well, the FTX guy, right? FTX. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the FTX guy. I mean, he said he was a crypto storage and trading operation. And, uh, you know, you wonder where the money went. Well, one of the first things he did, he bought himself a $140 million condominium complex in Bahamas for himself and his family. So, you know, the money was flowing out the door. He had all these different shell companies he was funneling money into. I mean, this was uh, this was a big deal. So uh, uh, the, the stories are just endless, it seems, on these things. And, and what do you have to do? Like, you got to have your guard up. Is it the old adage, if it's too good to be true, it's probably not? It's probably too good to be true. And so there's a number of things that if you're – wondering if something's a Ponzi scheme. Well, the first off is there's a promise of spectacular returns over short periods of time. And, you know, uh, Ponzi originally promised 20% in three months. Um, you know, the red triple M scheme was promising returns of 3,000%. And they always promised this at little or no risk. And the scheme is seemingly legitimized by, you know, they'll give you a list of early investors to call that have gotten large payouts. But all they're doing is taking your money and paying it out to people in the past. And that's where Ponzi schemes always blow up. These things can only get so big where they collapse on themselves. And usually the head of these Ponzi schemes is very charismatic, larger-than-life personality, you know, like Bernie Madoff and, of course, Alan Stanford. These guys are, are huge personalities, and people fall for the cult of personalities. Also, the business plan is based on a strategy that no one has ever heard of before. I mean, you look at the crazy things that they were pawning, uh, not pawning, but uh, trying to pawn off on investors. Uh, What attracted people is go, well, this is unique. I've never heard of this before. And if it's unique and it's never heard of it before, one of the issues is that usually uh, securities regulators aren't looking at this particular area so no one is 
has watchful eyes on it and can stop it from happening before it gets too big. You know, uh, all of these, the financials are obscure and not readily available for viewing. Also, the auditors. Usually it's not a national uh, accounting firm that's doing the auditing. It's uh, somebody in a strip mall in a town of 2,000 people, uh, 5,000 miles from anywhere you've ever been. And uh, so, you know, you know, these are just things that if, if you see some of these things, even if owners uh, might have had legitimate businesses, the, you know, you should be going to DEFCON 8 and the alarm bell should be going off because uh, these are just the signs that, hey, there's something not right here. And as you point out, these haven't gone away. They're still out there, some of them, right? Oh, yeah. You look at the Ponzi schemes just in 2022, they're up 70% over the previous year. And 57 scams represented $5.3 billion that was built from investors. And while only 25% of them were Ponzi's uh, involving cryptocurrency, they represented almost 60% of the total dollar volume in this category of crime. So especially be on the lookout for cryptocurrency because when it comes to Ponzi schemes, they literally represent 60% of the dollar volume that has been built from investors. And as was pointed out in the interview I watched on, on Bill Maher's show, you know, they made the point that I think it was the year was 2021. Bitcoin mining and, and cryptocurrency mining used the energy equivalent of the whole country of Argentina in a year. And, you know, it's a lot of young people that, that profess to be green and, you know, want to save the planet and stuff that are going into these things. And they're chewing up enormous amounts of energy, which is somewhat hypocritical. Yeah. And so along with uh, chewing up enormous amounts of energy, unless they're care you're careful, they can chew up enormous amounts of your capital. So be alert. The shell game is still very active. So you want to ask yourself why they're approaching you. And this is a critical question. Like if, if I had an idea that was so good, I would probably approach one billionaire or one person with lots of money, get him to fund me completely and keep it out of the news flow. Because the more people learn about this, if it's actually a legit idea, it's going to attract a lot of competition. A whole bunch of other people are going to be doing it too. And before long, competition is going to dilute the returns and the, and the big returns are just not going to be there. So if you're sitting on a buyer stool and the guy next to you has got a great idea, you know, ask him the question, why are you coming to me and why aren't you going to someone with lots of money that, you know, talking, uh, talking it up around th thousands of small investors, uh, you know, if it was such a great idea, believe me, you'd be going to the guys with the big money first. So as you say, the last thing you want is a con artist turning your money and their experience into their money and your experience. <laughs> Amen. All right. Fun show. Interesting stuff. Uh, maybe, you know, if you got some spare time, read up on Ponzi schemes. There's probably a laugh a minute there, Ron. <laughs> There's more than a laugh a minute. I spent a whole week doing uh, preparing for this show, and half the time I had tears in my eyes, sometimes uh, out of laughter, but sometimes just out of pity because so many people lost so much money on this stuff. All right. We're back again next week with another installment of Making Money. We will join you then. On behalf of the financial coach, Ron Hebert, I'm Gord Whitehead. Talk to you next week. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. 
Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.